Alhamdulillah, in last week's lesson we covered with regards to prior to a person passing away, the condition it might find a person in, and as far as humans are concerned, as far as Muslims are concerned, people of Iman is concerned, what they've been taught by Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in terms of showing compassion and mercy to fellow mankind. So aspects that was talked about with regards to looking after our parents, and certain masail and certain rulings were discussed with regards to maintenance, who's responsible, expenditures, etc. Then when the person is passing away, what are the signs of sakarat which we discussed? And at that particular time, what should be done? As well as after a person has passed away, what are the etiquettes in terms of now the person has passed on, what should be done? Uh, one question that came last week with regards to... Uh, the person has passed away, Ghusl has not yet been done, has not yet been done, and what is the permissibility or impermissibility as far as reciting Quran is concerned? So as far as that is concerned, the ulama have made mention, those ulama that there are two, there are some ulama that say it's not permissible on the basis that when a person is passing away, there might be the possibility of impurities that have left the person's body, so if a person is right next to the body, because of the presence of impurities, it would not be permissible to recite Qur'an. Right next to the person that rise to the body. But some people are of this notion that you are not allowed to read Qur'an at all. That means you have to wait till the ghusl is done, then only you can recite Qur'an as far as ithar sawab as far as reward for the disease is concerned. This is wrong. A person can recite Qur'an, he can do whatever dhikr, etc., after the person has passed away, but preferably, if a person should be maybe in another room or further away from the deceased, then it would be permissible for a person to recite. <clears throat> Today, inshallah, we're going to discuss that now the person has passed on. Now, as far as the ghusl is concerned, so first and foremost, as far as the what is the shari status, what is the ruling in Islam? as far as bathing and giving ghusl to a person that has passed away. So as far as the ruling is coined, this is fardul kifaya. So as far as fard is concerned, those deeds which are obligatory for a person to do, you get that which fardul ayn. Fardul ayn, that means every, every mature person, every mukallaf person, that means person who is baliq, a person who is sane, a person who is a Muslim, there are those rule, those things that a person has to carry out. Every individual by himself has to carry it out. If a person does not carry it out, then a person will be questionable in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is fardul ayn. For example, every person on his own has to perform salat, every person on his own has to fast, every person on his own if he has the means, zakat, uh, hajj, etc. So it's fardul ayn. As far as fardul kifaya is concerned, the, 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 the command is directed to all, everyone. It means every person is mukallaf, the command is directed to everyone. It means everybody is addressed by that command. But if few, if few people from the community, if they fulfill it, then the responsibility will fall off from the rest of the people. So same with regards to the, the ghusl is concerned. It is something which is fard. That means it is the responsibility of every individual. That means if nobody in the community gives ghusl, if nobody in the community gives ghusl, then every person will be held accountable in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if few people take it upon themselves and give ghusl to that person that has passed away, then the responsibility will fall off. And also ulama have been mentioned that if ghusl is not given to the deceased, then the janazah is not being given to the deceased and the person performs the janazah salat, the janazah salat will not be correct. So it is very very important that when a person passes away, then it is the responsibility for us to put ourselves forward, and especially now that we are, inshallah, learning the Masail, we will learn the theory, we will go through it, but the person will only become geared up with it when a person actually puts himself forward, and a person practically does it when he is a mayat, then inshallah, a person will learn, inshallah. As far as the rewards are concerned, what are the rewards of giving ghusl to a person in a lengthy hadith? In which Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa has made mention with regards to the various rewards of clothing a person, bathing a person, and attaining the janazah salat. In that riwayat it is made mention that if a person bath a person and a person gives ghusl to a deceased person, then Allah, then a person, he, he will return from there in a condition like the day his mother had given birth to him. 
It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes out a person's sins and a person's gunas, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes him out. Also a person, obviously these sins also the ulama make mention, these are the minor sins, but the major sins a person has to mix and say toba to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As far as a person who attends the janazah is concerned, if a person just reads the janazah salat, he'll get the reward of one qirat. And if a person stays till the end, till the person is buried, he gets the reward of two qirat. And a reward of one qirat, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that the reward equal to Mount Uhud, to a huge mountain in Medina. To that extent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward a person just for participating in the janazah. Now as far as the person that is going to perform the, the ghusl, the person is going to perform the ghusl, few masail and few rulings with regards to the person himself. It is preferable that the person who is going to give the ghusl to be in the state of wudu. It is preferable. If a person is not in a state of wudu, it will be permissible for a person to do the ghusl. It will not be any, any, it will not be haram or anything, but preferable that a person before a person does the ghusl, a person be in a state of wudu. If a person is in a state of janabat, that means a person is in need of obligatory bath, or if a woman is in a state of hayd or nifas, if a woman is in a state of hayd or nifas, then it will be makru for them to give ghusl to the deceased person. But obviously if they do give the ghusl, the ghusl will be complete. That doesn't mean that the ghusl has to be done all over again, but obviously for them themselves to participate in the ghusl will be, will be makru. As far as who should give the ghusl, Preferably the close relatives. The close relatives, they should be the ones, the first ones there to, to help and assist in, in giving of the, of the ghusl. Obviously if there's nobody else that is present, then the community and any pious person can join in in terms of giving the ghusl of the, of the mayyid. One important thing that, is, that you should keep in mind, that as far as ghusl is concerned, males to give ghusl to males, and females to give ghusl to females. No male can give ghusl to a female, there are one two exceptions which we will come to, and no female can give ghusl to a male, but there is few exceptions which we will come to. But the general rule, with the rule is this here, males for males, females for females. As far as a child passes away, if the child is such, is that if the child is very very young, that means the child cannot speak, for example, like one two years, then they also preferably, males give it to a male child, and females give to a female child. But there is permissibility as long as the, if a person is not going to get enticed or anything, that for a male to give a ghusl to a female child, or the vice versa, a woman to give ghusl to a male child. But obviously if the child is much elderly, maybe five, six, seven years old, then obviously males for males, females for females. Right? As far as the requirements for ghusl is concerned, there are a few basic requirements. Alhamdulillah, in our country, most of the places where we have a ghusl facility, all this, all the things that are required for ghusl are found there. But if a person finds a, 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 a oneself in a situation whereby a person has to ghusl at home or somewhere else, then a few things that a person has to keep in mind, right? One is that a person has to have clean, lukewarm water. Ghusl should not be given to what extremely cold water, nor what, what extremely boiling water. So just like our own selves, how we use water, we use normally a lukewarm water, warm water, so similarly that, that water should be used for the disease. Preferably a bench, or like a, sort of like a platform, like a bed or something, normally like a bath, where a person can bath the, the, the disease, and there should be a outlet so that the water, the, the, the impure water, etc., can, can flow away, right? Also a person will have one bucket of warm water, in which a person will mix some camphor into it, a bucket of warm water. So normally just before the actual ghusl starts, what part of the preparation is that you will, uh, in a bucket of warm water, you'll break some camphor blocks, and you'll mix it into there, and you'll keep it aside, which will be used on, on a later stage. Obviously some, some jugs also to use for, for pouring, etc. And also, uh, the lotus tree leaves, the lotus tree leaves, which is used like a, um, sort of like a, like, like in, the, in the olden times, they used to use it like a cleanser, like a, like soap, like how we use soap or, or shampoo and stuff. Uh, that used to be used. That used to be mixed in warm water and that you used to use to bath the body. But if a person does not have that, then obviously any sort of soap can be used. Or I might have said that scented soap or unscented soap can be used uh, in order to, to wash the body. Normally we just use the normal sunlight green bar, right? Cotton wool. 
because as far as the istinja etc that is going to be explained in order to make the istinja we need cotton wool right and also you need sufficient type of cloth towels etc to cover the body while you are doing the ghusl because it is uh, totally impermissible and haram for a person to expose the settled one is when a person in his own lifetime a person can expose his settled so similarly when a person is dead it's not allowed for anyone to expose the settled of the person that has passed away right we mentioned that when a person passes away, then at that particular time, before you even take in the body, or if it's going to be still alive, then to burn loban, to burn some incense, some, some, something, it is preferable. Likewise, also before you going to make the ghusl on, around the, the, the bath, etc., to burn some loban, it's also, it is also preferable. But obviously it is not, it's not available, there's no harm or anything, the ghusl will still be complete, right? Oh. So as far as the, the other requirements like sheets and bath, bath, uh, bath towels, etc., which you need to use and change in between as we'll explain and dry the body, it also has to be there, right? Now as far as the, the ghusl is concerned, right? When we reach the ghusl khana, then obviously we will lift the body onto the place that we are going to be making the ghusl, right? Thereafter, we will take a, a, a sheet or a towel, right? And we will cover the body. So now as far as males is concerned, their setter is from the navel and is above the na- uh, from, from, from the navel till below the knee. So the knees are included in the setter. Although the navel itself is not included, but the knees are included in the setter. So right from below the navel, right below the knees, a person, that is a person setter. So, like we explained the other day, that uh, as far as a person, if he has jewelry or rings or anything, that all will be taken off before at home when a person passes away. If at this point, a point in time, if it has not as yet been taken off, obviously that has to be removed, right? Then the, anything which is like easy to remove without exposing the setter, a person's socks, a person's shoes, a person's upper garments, etc., that can be done before you cover the body. But as far as now the, the bottom of a person, the person's like trousers, etc., underpants, etc., that first you will cover the body, right? And then from beneath, from beneath the, the towel or the sheet, you will remove it, right? And at no point should we expose the setter. At no, at no point should we expose the setter of the, of the person, right? Also, we should make sure that the, the towel or the cloth or the, or the sheet that we are going to be using should be big enough also to cover the body as well as should not be see-through. Sometimes if it's a, like a white material and if you pour water over it, what's going to happen is that the entire body is going to be exposed. So that should, the care should be taken with regard to this here. <clears throat> now when you start in the hussel, right? The body is there, it's covered, everything has been removed, right? You must make sure everything is removed. And if it's like a body that has come from the hospital, etc., make sure sometimes they do ECG, sometimes they do, uh, sometimes the person went to some operation, so plasters, etc., should be taken off, right? Obviously, if it's bleeding, leave the plaster on, then afterwards we'll do the ghusl, and in the end, we'll uh, either re- replace the plaster or just put some cotton wool or something to solace to, to ease the blood. Or sometimes the camphor mixture, etc., is placed onto the wound so that it stops the, stops the bleeding, right? <clears throat> now, first thing that we do when we commence the ghusl is to start with the istinja. To start with the istinja. So we all know that impurities that come out from our body, we all relieve ourselves. So when we relieve ourselves, we have to clean ourselves. That is called istinja. That means we are cleaning ourselves, making ourselves pure. So similarly, as far as the person that has passed away, that first before we start the actual ghusl, istinja will be made. Right. So normally what happens... As we explained before, because sometimes of the difficulty of, of death, or, or, or when a person's work is leaving the body, what happens is sometimes impurities leave the body. Sometimes, so, and sometimes not. So to make sure that both passageways, the front passageway and the back passageway is clean, then we will do the istinja. Now very, very important that as far as istinja is concerned, it's going to be the person, it's going to be the person's part of his body, which is his private area, which obviously it's not possible for anybody to touch with one's bare hands. No person can touch the center of another person with their bare hand. So therefore a person has to use gloves. 
Obviously in the olden days they used to use maybe like a cloth or something. But our day we have surgical gloves that is available. So a person who is doing the ghusl should put on surgical gloves and before a person is going to do the, the ghusl, right? Now as far as the ghusl, uh, uh, as far as the stinga is concerned, you are going to wipe the back passageway and you are going to wipe the, the front passageway. So as far as the, the stinga is concerned, preferably you do the stinga with your left hand. You do the stinga with your left hand. Right, that's, the, that's how we all do our stinger, we do that on left hand. So, the easy way is that, obviously now, um, the person is going to be li- is lying on that, on that bath, and you are facing the person, right? So, we'll understand it more when you do it practically, but just as, as far as theory is concerned, you will, the right, the, the, um, the oh, sorry, now the left, uh, left leg of a person will be lifted up slightly, and so somebody will be assisting them left the left leg little bit. And from underneath the left leg, underneath the left leg. So if this is the leg like this here, so from underneath the left leg, you're going to put your hand through, and then you're going to be taking a big piece of cotton wool, right? So you'll wet the cotton wool, and you'll wipe the back passageway, right? And as you take it out, a person will observe to see whether there is a lot of impurity or there is little bit impurity. If there's a lot of impurity, the person knows that he's still got now, still some he has to do it now a couple of times till it is completely clean, right? So a person will do it one time, two times, right? And each time a person will, as he's taking it out, a person will, will see it, whether it is, whether it is clean or not, right? Then a person will do it with regards to the front, the front uh, private area as well from the top. And he's just lifting, so this is the leg, lifting the cloth, whether they're putting the hand under, wiping the, the front passageway, right? And then what will be done, the body will be lifted out slightly. The body will be lifted slightly and the stomach will be massaged. Just slightly, you will press the, the stomach. You will press the stomach. So if there is any sort of impurities that is still remaining in the stomach, that will, that will come out and then a person will make this tinja, right? If during the ghusl, that means a person is uh, now right towards the end and if some impurity has to come out, if some impurity has to come out, then there is no need to redo the whole wudu and the whole ghusl. A person will just wash away the impurity and the ghusl will be considered to be done. So in, so one is doing in the beginning, but during the ghusl, if any impurity has to come out, that will not affect the, the ghusl will still be, will still be intact, right? After we've done with, after we've done with the istinja, right? Um, obviously now we'll have your dustbin, etc. So whatever we're taking out, we'll dispose it there and that will be done, right? After a person is done with the stinja, the person will remove the glove, right? person will rinse one's hands, or and if a person wants to, to carry on the ghusl, then a person will put on an, another pair of gloves, because the person is going to put in soap, etc. So this is preferable because if, they, if the glove was soiled or anything, or there is some impurity, that will not affect now the rest of the of the ghusl, right? Now coming to the wudu. Right, after the stinja is done, now we are going to be making the wudu for the deceased person, right? So the normal way that we make wudu is that we start with washing our hands. We, uh, that's I'm talking about how we do our normal wudu, right? We wash our hands, gargle the mouth, etc., right? Now as far as the deceased person is concerned, right, there is no need to wash a person's hands. Because when we're washing our hands, is that because we are the, the hands are used to wash the rest of our body when we make an wudu. So if the hands is clean, then the rest of the part that we're going to be is going to be clean. So that's the hikmat and the reason why we wash our hands, right? But only the deceased person, he's not going to be using his hands to wash himself, right? So there's no need to wash the hands, right? So we obviously, most of us, we have learned it when we just, obviously in the beginning, when we saw our elders that were doing wassail and we learned from them, Right, and, and obviously in, in, in many a times there were not so many ulama also. And when we learned the ghusl the time in, in the ghusl khana, like Uncle Leit Abdul Qasi and you know those people. So uh, uh, what's it called? Those people, maybe they never knew the, 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 the details, but just now a person must should not think that it's now necessary to wash, to start with washing of the hands till the rest, right? So likewise also with regards to the gargling of the mouth, cleaning of the nose also, here the ulama said also it is not necessary. It is not necessary to gargle the mouth and clean it. That is for a person who is alive, right? But, but, ulama said that it is also permissible to do it, which we are, which is the common practice also, that we normally use cotton wool to clean the mouth and to clean the nose, right? So, 
it's not necessary. So if you see anybody not doing it, it doesn't mean that the ghusl will not be complete, that the wudu will not be complete. But obviously, it is the practice of people to do it. And if people are doing it and you are doing it, no problem, right? And just in our most of in our ghusl khalas, we do it. That means we wet the cotton wool and we clean the mouth and we clean the nose, right? So the ulama has mentioned that there is uh, there's no any particular position that you have when you are what's it called making ghusl to the deceased person. But as we explained before also, that they are like when a person is in the sakarat, the, the positions where the person is lying on his back or on his side, that's also a permissible position when a person is in ghusl. So normally when a person is doing ghusl, if a person is on his back, right? So they, a person will be, face will be up and a person's back will be down. So there's no any question of a person actually facing the Qibla when you're doing the istinja. Because you either, the, 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 the impermissibility is either you're facing your face or your back towards the Qibla when you're relieving yourself. Here the body is like this. Uh, okay. So let me stop. <laughs> okay, so now we are busy with the... Okay, okay, right. So now we are busy with the wudu. We are busy with the wudu. Uh, we are going to be uh, washing the mouth and we are going to washing the nostrils, right? Yes, if the person was in a state of janabat. That means if the person was in need of an obligatory ghusl, then in that case there it will be necessary to wash the mouth and to wash the, the nose. Because when a person is part of a fourth ghusl of a normal person, that he has to goggle his mouth and clean his nose. So say if the person had passed away, passed away in the state of Janabad, then it will be necessary in that case there to wash the mouth and to, to wash the nose. Right? That's what the Allah might mention. Now how will you wash the mouth and that obviously the person can't goggle, the person can't. So we'll take... Six pieces, uh, 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 first we take three pieces of cotton wool. Three pieces of cotton wool, right? You will wet the, the cotton wool, right? And you will clean the inside of the mouth, right? So when you wet the cotton wool, you won't take it as it's soaking wet, you'll squeeze it out. So you just got a piece of wet cotton wool, you don't need like drenching with water, full of water. You just take it, you wet it, and you squeeze it, and then you clean the mouth. So you clean under the lips, below right, inside the mouth, the tongue, etc., underneath the tongue, as far as you can reach. Sometimes, if the body has gone cold already, it's really difficult to open the jaw, etc., so as far as you can reach, remember that there's no breaking of bones and stuff, because the, the person can feel, although the person is dead, but just like how you treat a live person, you'll treat the person that has passed away. So, sometimes if the body is gone so stuff, don't try to force it, etc., it will cause the cleave to the person that has passed away, right? One easy way to straighten the body if the body is really stiff is to run warm water for a while on a particular lump. So example, if the body has come from the mortuary or anything, then just by running water on those limbs for a while, it will like soften it for a while and it will be possible to straighten the fingers, etc., right? <clears throat> so a person will take the three pieces, wash it, wash, wash the mouth, right? Thereafter, person will just take one piece of dry cotton wool and plug the mouth. Because when you're going to wash the face, then the water does not go into the, into the mouth. Then the person will take six pieces of cotton wool. Six pieces of cotton wool. And a person will, will roll it. Like uh, the guys used to roll. Uh. <laughs> so anyways, you roll, roll six pieces of, of cotton wool, right? You wet it, you squeeze it. So it will be looking like a, uh, like a, like a earbud, like soft. Then you push it into the nose with this, twist it, onto the right nostril, second one, right nostril, third one, right nostril. If anything is still dirty, you use another one till it's clean, and you do the same thing to the left nostril. So three times, three times, right? After you've done that, you take two pieces of dry cotton wool, and you plug the nose again. So then now, the mouth and the nose is done. Then you do the face as normal, washing the full face, washing the beard, etc., right? Washing it completely. Thereafter, the hands, washing the hands, until the, until the arms, both arms properly, right? The right, the left, massage of the head, right? You can make massage of the ears, etc. The sunan, etc. of how you make a normal wudu, you can carry it out as well. And then obviously, you're going to wash the, the feet. After washing the feet, also making khilal of the toes, etc. That all will be done, right? 
Thereafter, the wudu is now complete. Right? The wudu is complete. Now, we are going to be now making the actual, the ghusl of the body. The wudu is complete. Now we are starting the ghusl. Right? When we are going to start the ghusl, what we are going to do is that we are going to wet the entire body. With warm water, we are going to wet the entire body. So from the hair, the head, we are going to pour water on the entire body. Right? Thereafter that, water that we used, uh, the, uh, the, the bucket of water in which you mix that lotus. So um, normally, uh, uh, the, the ladies, what they do is that they, they grate the soap, the green bar, they grate it into flakes. And they just take a handful of it and they throw it into the water. So it makes a bucket of soap water. And then that water they use just to throw it over and it like creates a, uh, what's it called, like foam. And then you do, so we just use the normal green bar, we rub it, we make foam, and you soap the entire body, right? So from the air, till the, till the feet, you're going to soap the entire body, right? Under the arms, etc., behind the head, uh, the, the face, the, the hair, the, the right through. Obviously now the, the part of the setter, the part of the setter here also, the person is going to be applying, either the person applies, applies the soap on top of the tile, or a person will apply it from beneath, but obviously then a person will have to use a glove, right? Thereafter, when the body is soaked on the whole side, then you're going to tilt the body onto its left side. You're going to tilt the body onto its left side. So the body is on its left side, and the top part will be now, so obviously this is the left side, and the top part will be now your right side, right? And then you'll soak the right side, the entire right side, as well as the, as the back, right? Normally what we do is that when we are tilting the body, we do the soap and the rinsing one time. We do the soaping and the rinsing one time, so that there is not too much of movement of the body, right? Because otherwise you're going to soap and then you're going to put it down and soap the other side and you have to lift up again. So you can do it one time, as you uh, lift it, then you pour water three times from the, from the head, right up the little toe, rinsing the body, right? Um, thereafter, you will do it on the on the left side. It means you, uh, you're on the, you want to wash the left side, so you're going to make the body lie onto its right side, and then you're going to do that the same thing, soaping it, the back, etc., and then you will pour water right through. So three times you're going to pour water. One is from the head to toe when it's lying down. When it's on its right side, you're going to put three times water, and when it's on the left side, three times water from head to toe, right? And then you wash all the soap, etc., off, right? After this year, if need be, if after this year, if need be, you want to check if the istinja is, if nothing is coming up, you can again lift the body a little bit and see, press the stomach, and then if anything comes out, you just wash it away. You don't have to now repeat the ghusl. Right? If you want to do it, if you feel, or while if you notice, uh, while you're doing ghusl, uh, something had come about, then you can, uh, what you call, do the istinja again, right? Now, as far as the camphor water is concerned. So you got a bucket of that camphor water and you're going to mix that camphor water in. No. If anything comes out after you done wudu or ghusl, you don't, or even during, you don't have to repeat. Right? Even if the wound starts to bleed or anything, you don't have to repeat the ghusl. You just have to wash away the impurity and the ghusl the will be intact, right? Now, uh, you're going to throw that water at camphor, right? The camphor water. Paralema have given different reasons why you will, why you throw this camphor water. Uh, it's also a very cheap way of scenting the body. The body has a good scent. It also keeps away insects, etc. And if there was any impurities that have to come out while transporting the body, etc., if any impurities have to come out, then the camphor will basically dissolve that, that, that odor, whatever it may be, right? So these are uh, some of the hikmah that the ulama have given with regards to. And obviously it's a sunnah, so therefore we will practice upon it as a sunnah, right? Uh, now, as far as pouring the camphor water is concerned, right? Um, also, when we use, when we learned the ghusl also, we learned it, uh, or how we saw, you know, basically we learned it, it's seeing it, that when you pour in the camphor water, normally you pour three times, from head to toe, then on the right side, left side, right? 
three times, right? Um, once we were doing the practical uh, lessons, I mean, Akuri also mentioned to me that actually in the kitab, Stefan, and the kitab that we are checking also, that actually when you pour in a camphor water, is that you turn the body on the left side. You turn the body on the left side. So now you, the body is on its, the, the right shoulder is up. And now you'll throw it three times from head to toe. So the water will fall from the right side to the left side from head to toe. So you don't have to now pour the camphor water three times on one side, three times on the other side, and three times head to head to toe. That is when you are cleaning the body after uh, you put soap. That is the time you now you put three times on the middle, three times on the right, three times on the left. But when you pour in the camphor water, it will be sufficient just to pour it, let the body be on a, on a slant on, a, on, a, on its uh, left side, on the right side up, and then from there, you pour in the water from head to toe three times. And then you pour the camphor water, right? And uh, normally also we, just from underneath the towel, we put few jugs so that the water goes in between the legs, etc. Right? Thereafter, uh, obviously now the, the towel that is on the body is wet. Right? So there is a way of now changing the towel. Right? So what you'll do is that, obviously there is a help. You take a dry towel, each one will hold the corner of the dry towel, and you lower it, not touching the body, just to the to the maximum that you can lower it, not touching the body. And then from underneath, somebody will pull away the wet towel and then you just put the, the dry towel on top of it, right? And thereafter, you use another towel, except that towel, you just dab the body, you get another small towel, etc., and you dry the body, right? Thereafter, uh, you're going to take the body and you're going to put it onto the, the coffin, right? And now we're going to learn how to cut the coffin, etc. You try to take the body. There's a way also, what you can do, is that you take it, the, the, the dry towel, so one towel is on top, you roll a towel, you put it underneath the body, and you pull it out. So the, the, the towel is at the bottom of the body like this here. So what happens, it becomes easy for you to grip the body. Instead of now you're going to hold in your body, because remember the, you can't hold the body also with your bare hands also, the, the setter part. So when you got the towel under, you're holding the towel and the body is on top. And like this you hold the body and you put it onto the, onto the cuffer. Right. Once you put the body onto the coffin, then there is a mixture of camphor, etc. They used to put other uh, uh, powders, etc. inside. Uh, but normally nowadays use camphor and rose water. Right? Camphor and rose water. And these are placed on, uh, what's it called? On a person's, the places that touch the ground in Sajda. The, the portions of the body, they touch the ground in Sajda. So that is the forehead, the nose, the palms, right, the knees, and the underneath of the toes. These are the parts of the body. They touch the ground in sajda, and um, the, what's it called? Uh, because of that, uh, on these parts, your person will put the, the camphor, right? Uh, I was reading here in this Arabic, it was said that uh, when Adam alayhi salam passed away, then the malaika, they, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded them, and they put this camphor on the basis of sajda for Adam alayhi salatu salam. So this has been a continuous practice thereafter, right? So it's also the sunnah to put it. Now obviously a person to put now big blobs of now camphor, etc. That is not one. Just to put, let's, let's rub a little bit, rub a little bit here, right? One important thing is that um, <clears throat> when putting camphor on the knees, right? So generally the person who's putting the camphor also don't have gloves. The knees is part of the satar. The knee is part of the sitter. You can't touch the knee whilst your bare hands. So the person should just be careful. The person is putting the, the camphor on the, on the knees. You should use the glove, right? Right. There are some common mistakes that people make is that uh, with regards to uh, the ghusl, is that people do not cover the sitter. There's a common mistake. So we should be very, very careful. We emphasize it also that it is not permissible to expose the, the setter. Also, common mistake is people use thin cloth when covering the body. Obviously, it now exposes the, the setter, right? <clears throat> One very, very important thing is that whatever a person sees in the ghusl khana, person is doing the ghusl, whatever a person sees should stay there. Whatever is seen in the ghusl khana, a very, very important rule, it should stay there. Sometimes a person may something, something a person may something, see something bad or something like that. Whatever a person has seen in the Hosal Khana, a person, especially if it's a crime scene, the bullet was like this and the body was like that, and it, 
that shouldn't be done at all. Right? Yes, if there's good signs, if there's good signs, as an encouragement for others for the good that the person has done, the person's was smiling or the person's face was shining, they mention that, that will be permissible, right? But <coughs> not to expose any person, right? It comes in a hadith that the person who gives ghusl to the disease and conceals the fault. The, 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 the faults of the person who conceives whatever a person sees, Allah Ta'ala forgives a person 40 times. 40 times Allah Ta'ala will forgive a person just by concealing what a, if a person has seen anything. Right? <clears throat> no. Right? So, as far as as far as uh, the body is concerned, there is no cutting of nails, there is no trimming of hair, or anything like that, right? So, as the body is, the person has passed away, that will be. Obviously now, talim should be given to the ummah. The ummah should be taught that, you know, as far as the removal of... Many times you see these things, but obviously, you know, we have to encourage the ummah more. Uh, once a week, removing of the pubic hair, under the hair, under the arms, etc., the cutting of the nails. These are things that... Actually, we should think about this in the future. Lessons on hygiene, also all these important things of fitra that we, or what's it called? It's important, you know, that we need to do this masail also, inshallah. Few masalinas masail with regards to ghusl, right? <clears throat> if a person has passed away and there are no Muslim males, if there are no Muslim males to give ghusl for a person, then uh, who should give the ghusl, right? If there is no Muslim males to give the ghusl. If a person is married, then his wife should do the ghusl. If a person is married, then his wife should give the ghusl, right? It is impermissible for any other females, even if they are mahram, to give ghusl for the person, right? The only person, that the female that is allowed to give ghusl, if a person is married and his wife is allowed to give ghusl, right? If the wife is not present, and there is no other Muslim males, and there is a non-Muslim male that is present, then he should be given, he should be taught, how to give the ghusl, and he should give the ghusl, right? If a person is, uh, his wife is not present, or a person is not married, there is no uh, Muslim males there, then uh, a woman will give, make the yamum. Any woman will make the yamum for that male. A woman will make the yamum. Obviously, if it's a mahram woman, then obviously it will be permissible for her to touch the body without gloves. But obviously, if it's a woman that... Um, is a, a non-maharam, then she can give the male to the woman, but obviously you have to wear gloves, right? The daughter is a maharam. She can do it. Right. As far as the tayammum is concerned, if the tayammum is the same for ghusl and wudu is the same, right? So if, uh, th- th- basically, striking the hand, or wiping the face, striking the hand and wiping the arms, right? That will be, the ghusl will be done. If a female, a female passes away and there are no females that to, to do the, the ghusl, then who will do the ghusl, right? It will not be permissible for the husband to do the ghusl of the wife. It will not be permissible for the husband to do the ghusl of the wife. And just now, inshallah, we'll mention why, the reason, right? As far as if, they, if the, the who will do the ghusl, if there are no Muslim, uh, Muslim females, then a non-Muslim female will be taught how to make ghusl for a female and she will do that to do the ghusl. If there are no Muslim, uh, no females at all, Muslim or non-Muslim, then her mahram will make the yamun for her. Right? The mahram will make the yamun for her. Right? Um, if there is no mahram, that means no brother or son or anything, then her husband will make the yamun for her, but the husband has to use a glove. The husband also cannot touch the body or after the woman has passed away or his bands, he'll have to use a glove. Right? If the husband is not present, then any other person can make the yamum. Usually, obviously, they have to. They have to use a, a glove, right? The difference that the wife can give, a wife can make the ghusl of the husband, yeah, but the, wife, the husband cannot make the ghusl of the wife. The basic reason is this here: is that when the when the when the husband when the wife passes away, when the wife passes away, then the nikah breaks. The, the nikah breaks, right? So there is no any connection of nikah that remains anymore. anymore. So therefore, in that case, it will not be permissible for the husband to touch his wife, right? Which is bare hands, right? Obviously, you can look at his wife. There's no problem. Sometimes the casual person, can you look? You can look at his wife. Also, he's going to hold that beer, etc. He's not holding with his bare hands, 
right? So that, that's, that's permissible, right? And as far as the wife is concerned, the permissibility, why she can, is that because when the husband passes away, there are still aspects of nikah that remains. So while she's in an idda, while she's in an idda, some aspects of nikah still remain. So on that basis, there it will be permissible for her to do the ghusl, right? Then any other uh, minor masail or individual masail apart from this is the basic that we mentioned. So I don't know if we should go through it or because it's not going to be enough time to cover all the... <laughs> okay, quickly, we just mention one, two of them, inshallah, right? The person passes away in a haram, what should we do? Normal, ghusl and kafan will be given to a person if a person passes away in a haram, right? If a person is drowned... If a person is drowned, should ghusl be given to the person? Yes, ghusl has to be given to the person. You can't suffice that he was his wet already, so there's no need to be ghusl. He'll be taken out, ghusl. Yes, if the people just take him out and put him back into the water and take him out. The ghusl will be done, but it will not be done according to the sunnah method. The sunnah method will be that take him out and thereafter do his ghusl properly, right? The ghusl with regards to an incomplete body. Ghusl with regards to an incomplete body, if you find the head only, you only find the head. There will be no ghusl. There will be no ghusl. If you find the head only, the head will be buried, right? If you find uh, more than half of the body, more than half of the body, with the head or without the head, ghusl will be given. With the head or without the head, more than half of the body, ghusl will be, will be given, right? If you find half the body, if you find only half of the body, right? Then if the head is on, then there will be ghusl. If there is no head, then there will be no ghusl, right? And you will find less than half of the body, whether the head is on or no, no or not on, there will be no ghusl. Right? So obviously these are situations that as a situation arises, then obviously if a person is not, not aware, then a person will have to find it out, right? Uh, as far as the shaheed is concerned, if a person passes away as a shaheed, for example, a person was murdered, right? And what will be the, what, what, what should be done with regards to, as far as ghusl is concerned, so, um, one is that after a person has been murdered, he's been shot, etc. So in normal instances, because of state case, etc., post-mortem is done, right? And uh, normally when a post-mortem is done is that the place where you do the post-mortem is normally napak. But because the person is doing the post-mortem, is doing so many post-mortems, the bodies are just coming, etc. So generally the place is napak. So, um, what is the condition with regards to ghusl? Right? So the ulama I mentioned because the person is a shaheed, there's no need for ghusl. Because the person is a shaheed, there is no need for ghusl. So if a person was murdered, he will be buried with his blood on him and the ghusl will not be wajib. Ghusl will not be, will not be wajib, right? Uh, yes, if a person had passed away in a state of janabat, then obviously ghusl will be wajib. Even if he was very shaheed, if he passed away in a state of janabat, then ghusl will be necessary, right? You put a coffin in you. Yeah. You remove it. Remove it. So there is some of some um, as you call according to the masters of some of the ulama have made mentioned it uh, in our instances because of post mortem etc. So ghusl is done. But in technically because the person he has passed away as a shaheed, he's been murdered, and he never take he passed away straight away like that, and he or like he's on or spot on dead, he never take like any benefits of life after that. So he'll be considered to be a shaheed. So obviously in that case there will be no need for ghusl. But obviously if a person was shot and then after that he was in hospital and he took benefit of life after it, then obviously then a person, then he will not be regarded as shaheed in terms of, of dunya, the Messiah. After that he'll get the reward, but the normal procedure will, will follow in, in terms of dunya, right? There the, are different forms of, of, of shaheed, right? Also, but mo most of the times in the motor vehicle, in because we don't know exactly what point, so then also is is done, right? So generally, the ruling or what we normally is followed by all our ulama is that in these instances, also is is given, right? Also is given. As far as the stillborn child is concerned, the child was born dead. It is called stillborn. 
So with regards to Ghusl and Faiz and Azar is concerned. So as far as the stillborn child is concerned, Ghusl is given, right? And thereafter, the child will be wrapped up and there's no Janazah Salat. There's no Janazah Salat. The child will just be wrapped up and the child will, will be buried, right? Well, obviously, if the child uh, was born alive, then it will be treated as a as a live person in the normal Messiah with regards to Ghusl and Kafan and Janazah will, will follow, right? Hmm. But again, there's no naming of the child. Normally, if the if the child is born and then the child died, then you will give a name and 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 what's it called, Husal and Chanaza. But if the child was born dead, then there's no naming of the child. As far as applying of surma, when a person passes away, there is no applying of surma or what's it called in a person. Yes, you can apply ether on the person's hair, sunnah, on the person's body. You can, on the places of sajda also, you can apply ether as well, right? Um, if a woman has passed away or a man also, if they have nail polish, then nail polish has to be removed because obviously it becomes a barrier for for herself, right? So that, that has to be uh, done also, right? Um... As far as if a person has uh, non-Muslim relatives, they want to participate in the, in the ghusl, it is not allowed for them to participate in the ghusl. They can, afterwards they can, but in the actual participation of the ghusl, non-Muslim uh, family are not allowed, right? Um, as far as amputated limbs are concerned, if a person has to, his limbs are amputated, what will be done? Uh, there, as far as that is concerned, there is no need to wash those parts of the body. That means those limbs, they don't have to be washed. You just put them with the rest of the body and you will bury them, right? Um, in the instance when there is no water available, right? There is no water at all that is available, then tayammum can be made. If there is no water, then tayammum can be made, right? Um, Well, why making the ghusl? Should you make any dhikr or durur or anything? Right? So it's not like a sunnah or anything that you... But if a person is in his mind or a person is reading something, I think it will be permissible. But obviously it shouldn't be audible. The person remembering Allah Ta'ala in his mind or remembering death, it will be permissible. Right? Um, obviously thumbprints, when you do the fingerprints, etc. Uh, it, it, it is the best that uh, if it's females that have passed away, then a female should do the fingerprints. Instead of a, if a, instead of a male touching the body and doing the fingerprint, then the female, rather female should do it. But obviously if there's no, uh, female that you can do the fingerprints, then the male should do it with wearing gloves. Right, wearing gloves. And also after that, uh, the, the, what's it called, those, the ink should be removed, right? Okay, that is as far as the, the whistle is concerned, right? Quickly as far as the, the coffin is concerned, Right, very briefly with regards to the kafan, right? Uh, the reason why a person is given ghusl and put in kafan because it's showing dignity to the person that is going leaving this world, meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is why a person is given a bath and a person is put on the kafan so that he looks dignified when leaving this world, right? As far as the, the kafan is concerned, it is totally permissible for a person to prepare one's kafan in advance. That means the older people they used to do, they used to go for hajj, etc., they used to take the kafan and they used to wash it in zamzam, etc. So all, all the things are permissible. A person can prepare his kafan and keep it ready in advance, right? Um, it is also permissible to, uh, it's preferable that the kafan be white. It's preferable that it be white, cotton. Uh, it does not have to be white, but it's preferable to be white. And the other color will also will suffice, right? It is must have to apply ether on a person's kafan, right? And um, also, uh, we said that the burning of uh, incense uh, or luban or something like that. Also, it will, it is preferable and mustahab that when before you put in the to, to so that the smell remains on the on the coffin when you burn the person, right? So on three occasions you burn the luban. One is when actually when the person passes away. One is in a time when you are uh, what's it called before the ghusl around the day, and one is uh, by, by the coffin that the person will do this here, right? As far as the coffin is concerned for males, there are three pieces of cloth. There are three pieces of cloth for males, right? 
uh, one is called uh, lifafa. Lifafa is the bottom, which is which is called a sheet, right? It's the it's the last one which is goes on the ground. That's called the lifafa, which is called a sheet, right? And in terms of the size is concerned, obviously, it must be a little bigger than the person's body. Just a little bit bigger than the person's body. So normally, the table that we use to cut the kafan on, or you put the that you use it as a gauge just to see, because probably you can uh, estimate according to the table what will be where the person will be in. Just a little bit more than that, and a little bit overlapping on the two sides, we cut the kafan So inshallah, when we do it practically, then so the bottom sheet is called the telifafa, right? Then you get the the one that comes on top of it. That is called uh, the izar, right? Izar is called the loin cloth, the bottom cloth, right? What you call a bottom cloth. It will be slightly bigger, slightly bigger than the than the lifafa, right? So, uh, so that is the bottom one is the lifafa, and the one on top of it is called the izar. And then one top of it is called a kamis, kamis which you can call a kurta also, you call a shirt also, right? Um, as far as the as far as the kurta is concerned, the sheet is like this here, right? Open. And you fold the sheet in half, right? So you got a flap, right? And in the middle here, you just cut a small V, a small V, right? So if this is the the sheet, we fold it in half. Then this here in the middle, we will cut a small V, right? And then we we'll roll this. This one we we'll roll it up. We we'll roll it up. So you cut your, your your sheet in half like this here, and you roll the top one. So when you put the body from after your ghusl, you put it in here, you put the head through there, and then you just roll this one over here. So this top one here now covers the, the body. Right? So there's no sleeves or anything, it's just those that will cover the body. The length of the izar is will be from till below the from, from the shoulders till below the, the knee, right? Then you will put the, the hands on the side, right? And then thereafter, you will, after you have, so the, you've, you've got your, your lifafa, you've got your, your izar, and you've got your kamis on top, right? And then now you will, will wrap them. Now the easy way to wrap them, you're going to write, you're going to put right over left. So you remember your salat, put your left, and your right on top of it. Your left, and your right. So you're going to close your kafan also, your, first comes your kamis, right? So you're going to cover your left, right on top of it. Then the second one, your, uh, what you call, uh, izar, you put your left, right over it. Third one, your lifafa, you put your left and your right on top of it, right? So as we do the practicals, inshallah, we'll see then how to uh, pull it stuff, make sure there's no creases, etc. And then you'll just, uh, on the two edges, you'll just twist it. You'll cut three pieces of, uh, uh, small pieces of, of, of uh, cloth, just to tie it so that the body does not open up. And when you go into the cupboard thereafter, then you will open it up again, right?